Hello, you're listening to a Medieval Madness podcast. To see the accompanying visuals, please check out our YouTube channel. Cheers! Being a queen in the 14th century was a dangerous occupation, and no woman knew that better than Joanna I of Naples. She had a talent for ruling, an ability which inevitably threatened the powerful men around her. Let's travel back in time and have a look at the very bad reputation of Joanna of Naples. Welcome to Medieval Madness. Kingdom of Naples. Joanna was born into the Angevin dynasty, a French royal house that ruled England in the 12th and 13th centuries. From 1144 and over the next 10 years, Geoffrey Plantagenet and his son, the future Henry II, both counts of Anjou in France, gained power of many lands in Western Europe, which later became known as the Angevin Empire. Joanna's great-great-grandfather, Charles of Anjou, claimed the Kingdom of Naples in 1266, when it included the island of Sicily. Charles was a member of the French royal family, being the brother of King Louis IX, which gave him the opportunity to marry Beatrice, the Countess of Provence. With her influence and money, he was able to conquer Naples and link it with the County of Provence. Intent on being more powerful than his brother, the King, Charles now turned his attention east to the Byzantine Empire and in 1277 he purchased the title to the Kingdom of Jerusalem for £1,000 in gold. This meant that Joanna not only inherited the title of Countess of Provence from birth and was able to rule over that region as well, but she also became the Queen of Jerusalem. At the time of Joanna's birth, Naples was a thriving capital and the home of the royal court. Only four European cities could claim a population of 100,000 at the time. Paris, Venice, Milan, and Naples. But only Naples was actually a kingdom, making it the largest and most important autonomous region in Italy. This meant that its rulers descended from royalty. Joanna's father was Charles the Duke of Calabria, her mother Marie of Valois. Joanna was born sometime in 1326 and became heir to the kingdom on the death of her father when she was just eight months old. Her mother, who was pregnant at the time, gave birth to another daughter, who was named Maria, before she also died in 1331. This left Joanna and her sisters to be raised at court by her grandparents Robert the Wise and Sanchia of Majorca. Under Robert's rule, Naples was prosperous with an increased economy and a booming populace, but most importantly, it was stable. Everything in his granddaughter's lives was shaped from their childhood at court, from love to education and religion to literature. Robert was devoted to learning and taught the girls how to rule, while Sanchia focused on their spiritual needs. The first one. With the death of his son, Robert the Wise was left with a succession crisis, and there was an old Hungarian feud to worry about. Robert's nephew, King Carabere of Hungary, should have been next in line for the crown of Naples, but was passed over for Robert, and he was not best pleased at being robbed of his birthright. In an attempt to ease the tension and to avoid a Hungarian invasion, the young Joanna was betrothed to Carabere's son, Andrew. Joanna and Andrew were married in 1333. She was seven, and he was six. Although his parents returned to Hungary, Andrew stayed in Naples after the wedding to learn the customs of the Neapolitan court. 
Bullied mercilessly because of anti-Hungarian sentiment, Andrew, understandably, grew up to be an isolated and sullen teenager with a chip on his shoulder. The couple spent most of their time apart and slept in separate bedrooms, although they shared apartment rooms within the castle. Then, in 1343, Robert died, leaving the 17-year-old Joanna to run the kingdom. His will made it clear that a special council would help her rule until the age of 25, but it was Joanna that was heir, not Andrew. And in the event of her dying childless, the throne should pass to Maria, her younger sister. Joanna inherited a kingdom that was no longer the powerhouse it had once been. Famines had destabilised the economy and weakened the people. The teenage Joanna, whose competence to rule was already in doubt because of her gender and age, began her reign at a very uncertain time. There was no mention of Andrew as consort in Robert's will. This left him extremely angry, but practically powerless in Naples. King in name only, Andrew decided he would like the throne for himself, and even though Joanna was pregnant by this point, he began to make threats against his wife. He even released the Pippini brothers from jail, who had been locked up for crimes ranging from rape to treason. Andrew offered the three men freedom and knighthoods if they would stand with him and fight for his cause. Already unpopular in the kingdom, this led to a further increase in resentment towards Andrew. On September the 18th, 1345, Andrew was assassinated during the night. A group of armed men broke into his rooms and hanged him from the balcony. He was just 17 when he was killed, leaving Joanna, a six-month pregnant widow at just 19, and the prime suspect in the murder of her husband. Rumour and gossip surrounded Andrew's death as the Hungarian royal family began to spread their propaganda against Queen Joanna. They said that she couldn't look anyone in the eye, she was unable to cry, she had fled the castle immediately after her husband's death, she neglected his corpse for three days. And although all of these things were untrue and there was nothing to irrefutably tie her to the assassination, mud sticks and Joanna's reputation was in ruins. To make matters worse, two days after the murder, a man was arrested, but had his tongue cut out during his torture, leaving him unable to name his co-conspirators. The Hungarians were livid, believing that the torturers were trying to protect the Queen. Pope Clement VI issued an inquiry into the death, and Andrew's older brother Louis, who was now King of Hungary, began to talk about an invasion. But then on Christmas Day, Joanna gave birth to a healthy baby boy. She named the child Charles Martel after his paternal grandfather in an attempt to appease the Hungarian king, and in another shrewd move, she persuaded the Pope to be his godfather. As Andrew's son would now rule Naples one day, Joanna believed that she had more than fulfilled the rules of her marriage contract. So she downloaded Tinder and went on the hunt for a new husband, which wasn't really a great look so soon after the murder of her first. The second one. King Louis had a younger brother more than willing to take on the role, but Joanna had her sights set on a cousin from another branch of the family named Louis of Taranto. This came as no surprise, as the couple were thought to have been romantically involved for some time. Many thought he was even the real father of Joanna's baby, but perhaps Joanna just wanted an experienced soldier in her corner, as military strategy had not been part of her education. Furious, the Hungarian king sent a letter to Pope Clement demanding that he dethrone, quote, the husband killer and widow of my brother, and indict Madame Maria, her sister, along with 200 other conspirators. He demanded that the Kingdom of Naples and Sicily to be given to him and his youngest brother, Stephen. Joanna married her cousin Louis of Taranto anyway, and incest. King Louis the Great of Hungary launched an invasion. 
As he began his march towards Naples, the Black Death was beginning its advance across Europe. As King Louis entered the Kingdom of Naples with a battalion of 5,000 men, Joanna knew that she had lost her throne. Pregnant once more, this time with Taranto's child, Joanna escaped in the middle of the night and fled to France, to Avignon and the Papal Court, where she had control. Taranto, who was fighting the Hungarians in Capua, soon followed. Although she adored her son, Joanna knew that her journey would be fraught with danger, so she made the heartbreaking decision to leave him behind, knowing that the King of Hungary would take great care of his two-year-old nephew. Sadly, it was the last time she would see the toddler alive. He died as he was being transported to Hungary. The Trial in Provence, Joanna sold Avignon to the Pope for 80,000 florins, money that she needed to retake her kingdom. She also obtained a dispensation for her new marriage and the papal court cleared her of any involvement in the murder of Andrew. Having friends in high places worked out well for Joanna, as the Pope also ruled that Louis of Hungary should leave Naples and GTFO ASAP. It seemed that Louis was ready to leave anyway, plague was devastating the whole of Europe, and the Neapolitans that were left were very hostile towards the Hungarian invaders. By the time Joanna reached Naples, she had given birth to a baby girl, and was welcomed back with open arms by the people. Sadly, her daughter Catherine died in 1349, aged just one year old, and her third daughter Francoise also died three years later, aged just eight months and it turned out that her husband was just as power-hungry as the last time. His behaviour towards Joanna was so brutal that Pope Clement wrote to him and reproached him for treating the Queen as a slave rather than a wife. Louis accused Joanna of adultery, forbade her to speak to her trusted servants and advisers without him being present, and rumours abounded that he was going to kill her. Louis undermined Joanna at every turn. Then, in 1362, after 12 years of turbulent marriage, the plague returned to Naples and Joanna's second husband died after contracting the fatal illness. He was 35. The third one. Now, Queen Joanna could finally rule as she wanted, and she proved more than adept at governing. But she really needed an heir, so after scouting around, she committed herself to James IV, King of Majorca. He was of equal rank to her, and they weren't directly related, which, you know, is always a bonus, especially when trying to conceive a healthy baby. Majorca had been invaded by Aragon, and James had been imprisoned as a teenager by his uncle, and kept in an iron cage for 13 years. It's no surprise then that he was mentally unbalanced, suffered from ill health, and was disposed to violent episodes. He often hit his wife, sometimes in public. Resentful of Joanna's unwillingness to power share, James went off to Spain to win back his lands and promptly died there, either from illness or poisoning. The last one. Free of another abusive husband, Joanna had survived accusations of adultery and murder, exile, and a trial for her life, as well as the devastating loss of her three children. In the end, her marriage to Duke Otto of Brunswick was a happy one, but fate was yet to deal her a final cruel blow. 
The new Pope of Rome, Urban VI, declared Joanna a heretic and gave her kingdom to Charles of Durazzo. Unable to stop his forces, Joanna was taken prisoner, and on July the 27th, 1382, at the age of 56, Joanna I, Queen of Naples, Sicily and Jerusalem, and Countess of Provenance, was secretly assassinated. Although the exact method used to murder her is unknown, it is thought that she was either strangled or suffocated. Because she had been excommunicated, Joanna could not be buried on holy ground, so her body was thrown into a deep well at the church of Santa Chiara. It was a sad and dishonourable death for an amazing woman who had been much maligned through over the last 600 years, a queen who had held together her kingdom through plague, war, famine and economic hardship for 30 years, whilst contending with a succession of misogynistic men. Thank you for watching this episode of Medieval Madness. Please do subscribe if you like the content as we do upload a new video every week. Cheers!